Well, welcome back to another episode of Integrate, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Faith and Innovation at Wheaton College. And I am your guest host today for this episode. My name is Chris Allen, and I am just honored to be here. I happen to be a board member of CFI, happen to be a Wheaton College graduate, and have a son there now. So I guess that makes me eligible for this role. Uh, I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest, Artem. I've just met, but we've got an incredible episode ahead for you as we think through the integration of our faith and work at the intersection of technology and innovation. Artem is both an educator and an investor. Uh, Properly, we should refer to you as Dr. Artem, correct? Uh, sure. Let's, let's, let's go with that. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, it's, it's so good to have you. And, um, I'm, I'm excited to just jump into this. Uh, Artem, I think, you know, what the audience should know is you spent some time at UC Davis, then you've spent a number of years at Stanford. You've recently received your PhD, So we know that you're an incredibly smart guy using all the gifts and the abilities that God's given you. Let's rewind a little bit, maybe help all of us know a little bit more about how you were brought up. uh, Where did you grow up? Um, Maybe rewind the clock a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, So to your audience, hello. I'm excited to kind of share a little bit more about my journey and uh, kind of uh, how we are. Here today. To be honest, you know, looking back, I, I reflect back on life and a lot of things are very non-linearly connected after the fact, but going through it, it's quite challenging. Uh, my, my upbringing, my parents moved from Ukraine in, 90, in the early 1990s and they planted themselves in Sacramento. And so I grew up in a community where it was both my parents were going to community college, then did state school, got their degrees, and they were very pro-education. So they, that was really drilled into us when, when I was younger. And uh, that kind of is what propelled me to go into uh, at, to UC Davis. The, the immigrant mindset, though, does come into play a lot when you come into professions and choosing a profession. And for us, as myself and my two younger brothers, we had the option of either being a doctor, a lawyer, a pharmacist, or nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> there was no you, other option. Roll. You can we do three things. Like, you know, like you're like, you got to do, you got you to do it. And I'm the first of three kids, uh, three boys. And so for me, there was an aspect of uh, trend setting and example setting that was also kind of on my shoulders. And uh, that's kind of what got me to UC Davis. Uh, honestly, my, 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 and a path towards going from high school, grade school, high school, and to college was very tunnel vision into I'm interested in medicine. And mm-hmm. that was the thing that I saw. I was like pre-med and undergrad. That was my, my path directly that I thought was going to work out perfectly. Little did I know that was not the path that was going to be my path. And it was very challenging in the midst of it to realize that there is something else out there for you and not knowing that there's an aspect of faith and an aspect of being able to trust the fact that what's going to come next is going to be something that will work out. So for me, um, I was pre-med, like you mentioned, Davis was a pre-med there. I ended up applying to med school, did not get in through the application cycle. And at that point I hit a wall of trying to figure out what am I doing with my life? My entirety of my 
existence up to that point was you're destined to be a doctor. I guess yeah. I am a doctor, just not that type of doctor right now. I'm a different type of doctor. Uh, and uh, eventually, I, I think for me, what helped was having good people that you can simply go ask and talk to and kind of explain yeah. it. Share your problems, share kind of what, what you're dealing with and uh, get a little bit of counseling and guidance. And uh, I had a person like that in my life. Uh, uh, Dr. Connie Champagne is one of my undergrad advisors and she helped with understanding. You can try a different path. You can try a PhD path. And if you really want to become a medical doctor after, go for it. Uh, that's, uh, so I ended up applying for PhD programs and that's how I got to Stanford. And uh, now that I'm here and honestly, Nonlinear. The entirety of everything is nonlinear. There's no. It looks great on paper now, yeah. <laughs> you know. But it, it truly is in the midst of it. It's quite not that. Hmm. And that's the one thing that I think it's important to convey for your for your audience here. Yeah. Go go back to. Um, uh, I mean, I think this conversation will be so helpful. So many young people struggle with a vision for their life. What are you going to do with your life? You're going to, you're going to be a doctor. There's only one choice. And then when you're faced with the reality that that might not be possible, how did you feel? What were you going through at that time? Very unnerved and very unsure about everything because my entirety of my support system, my family, everyone around me knew He's going to be a doctor. He's going to yeah. do surgery. He'll be a plastic surgeon one day, and we'll need that for our own kind of wellness and beautification. He's going to fix us all up. He likes to look at Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, he likes Grey's yeah. Anatomy and all those doctor shows. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was this uh, one time uh, um, someone threw a joke. Through. There was some commercial playing where there were people in white coats, and they're in pipetting in the lab, and someone said, my God, that's such a boring job. Who would ever want to do that? And that was like at that pivot when I just got into my PhD program, I turned around, I'm like, yeah, that's going to be me for the next couple of years. That person immediately said, uh, just kidding. That's the best thing ever. You'll love it. It is the best thing ever. So, uh, you know, honestly, for, for, for a lot of the young folks, a lot of people who are, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in the same boat because I've talked to many people and mentored a lot of people now and kind of walked through this aspect of uncertainty. Uh, I live now by the principle that the the steps in front of me that are meant to be for me will be open for me. And there's an aspect of faith and believing that what's going to come next is what you are meant to do and pursue. So every opportunity now that's presented in front of me now, I view it as a means to kind of like this is for me and I take it with the step of it has been given to me as something to try to do. I do the best in it. And then do good. Next, the next opportunity will come, and do well, and so forth. So it's kind of like a like a like a test per se with with stepping stones. Then you're given a little, you do well in it. You'll give, you'll be getting more, and you'll be getting more. And honestly, yeah. sometimes the, the 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 doors that, at least in my experience, the doors that were opening were the unexpected doors. But taking it with, uh, I have faith that this is what I should be doing, even though I'm not sure how this fits into the bigger picture, but it does feel like this is the way I should go. Looking back, it was the right step, right decision to do. Well, I can think of multiple biblical characters, almost every one of them, who had to walk out the same thing in uncertainty, taking one step at a time, believing that that was where God was directing them. Uh, we, we've heard your journey 
maybe from an education and a professional point, but how about your faith journey? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. So I grew up going to church with, uh, 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 going through church as a kind of like a, uh, as a family, we do it as a family unit. Um, uh, my parents would go, we'd go to church on Sundays, we have Sunday school. Uh, and it was ingrained with me as a, a thing that we do as kids, something that you have to do because everyone is doing it. You dress up on Sunday, you go to school, church on Sunday and so forth. And it wasn't until uh, I was a teenager, kind of later in this teenage, early young adult life, uh, that you kind of realize that this aha moment, it's not just like a ritual thing you do, but more so like like. Uh, a, a, a connection and a, and a relationship, an establishment of a relationship through which everyone, I do believe, has to go through that individually. Your, 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 your community, your parents, everyone has a certain role in which they can kind of help you walk through a certain aspect of faith building. But I do feel uh, on any practical kind of faith-based um, relationship, it is a relationship with the individual to their creator in terms of a way to engage in that and that can't that's not just a blanket community thing but more so as an individual and for me that happened uh teenage like 18 or 19 is say is when i had had that my my own kind of moment of individual connection and so forth. yeah so i mean you've been in the education space i mean yeah phd at stanford um w- when has your, the science and the education come into conflict or created tension in your faith? Yeah. So, I mean, a uh, great question. And I'd say great question because I get this a lot, especially when it comes to certain areas of science where they have higher ethical or moral implications for uh, impact on the community. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what it really comes down to with a lot of these type, a lot of the discussions around different fields of uh, hot topics per se, is really understanding what the science is that people are working through. So um, let's take um, stem cell research, for example. We'll take that. That's a pretty, that was a contested issue a bit ago, and then it's become a little bit less so. More so because the scientific community has realized a way in which they can use, look at research of a cell without necessarily using an embryo. And the, 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 the communication tool around that in order to share that information with the broader public, scientists don't communicate well. I'm just going to say it. Like, we yeah. write great publications and papers, but if you ever read a scientific paper published in some, uh, some journal, it's complex. The, the jargon mm-hmm. is complex. It's, it's, it's very much spoken to the audience of other scientists in that domain and the subdomain and whatever you're working on. And if you're trying to communicate to the general public about what you're doing, it's really an emphasis on simplifying it and explaining to people what is happening. And yeah. you can take that from very various angles, right, in terms of different kind of scientific um, projects that people worked on in the past. So for me, uh, one thing that I was fortunate to have as an experience kind of pre-PhD was working in a social media, uh, in the social media communication space did that for a few years, the office of the chancellor at UC Davis kind of uh, helped yeah. with the executive communications there. And you really learn how to fine tune a message of something that's complex to something that's simplified and someone can understand. Oftentimes this involves visuals. Oftentimes this involves something that is simple to, to digest. 
And uh, when I transitioned into my kind of uh, academic role, uh, anytime then I want, if I want to share what I'm working on with the general public, I will frame a blog or frame a conversation or frame a picture or a post or something around just the simple terms. What is, what's the implication on someone's health? Hmm. And how can I help someone live better, longer, uh, with less disease and so forth? Yeah. I, I, I love that. I think you've actually hit on something that I'd love to keep exploring, but it's this idea that our communication is so important. Human beings with their own bias love to jump to conclusions when they don't get the simplified message. And it's almost like in the absence of information, people make up stories. And so if we can't communicate about this stuff, the particularly the Christian community will make up their own stories about the validity of innovation, AI, you name it, whatever sort of scientific field, uh, obviously that's what we're talking about today, but it can happen about all kinds of issues. So let's, let's come back to kind of what you're working on today. I mean, a PhD at Stanford, you're teaching, you're also investing. Um, What's going on in the world of innovation, tech, and science right now that you're really excited about? I mean, there's a lot happening. I'd say, <laughs> uh, I'd say um, I can narrow it down or as broad it out for you as you'd like. I'd say in the, in the area that I'm in right now, uh, and so um, I have this interesting um, insight into kind of seeing what's happening in the biotech space and in terms of kind of what are the new and novel and emerging technologies. And I'd say a lot of where... Uh, excitement is going into right now. There's been an aspect of doing work with the, the epigenome, which is kind of like this layer on top of your genetic code that has been shown to be very involved with kind of controlling and, and regulating certain aspects of how your your physical uh, attributes of your your maybe your your eye color your eye color or the way in which you interact with your environment. That, that, that whole aspect of things has been very interesting and new and novel in the scientific community. And I've seen a lot of startups trying to go in that space. But also in the space of brain-machine interfaces, I've seen a lot of activity, um, a lot of activity to understand what is the brain and how does it work? That, <laughs> I think that's the, the biggest question that is still unanswered. You know, we know a lot about the heart. We know a lot about the liver. We can recreate a, a, a spleen. We can try to print organs and uh, uh, 3D bioprinting or 3D tissue organ culturing. Uh, there's still a lot to do, but it's a lot more of an understood system. Now take the brain, for example, and it's like, what? <laughs> what yeah. is this? You know, there's, there's all these tools and people developing techniques to figure out how can we visualize it. How can we put something onto your skull on top of your head, like a headset, and use your brain waves, the emitted energy from your brain uh, signals, to capture that and understand what you're thinking, like processing thought? It sounds very sci-fi, and I'd say, like for someone who's not in in the space, it could be something that will terrify someone. Like imagine taking a device and you're wearing it and all of a sudden someone can decode someone's thoughts. I mean, I'd be a little bit unnerved to walk around and someone be like, he's thinking that, what should we do about X, Y, Z kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the brain is the next frontier uh, is kind of in the scientific domain. There's a lot still that we don't understand, right? We're talking about Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, 
there's a lot of brain-related, aging-related diseases that are tied to the brain that we don't understand. And the brain is this big machine that we literally just carry, takes up a ton of energy, uses that in our uh, as a way to kind of facilitate almost every process in our body. And so there's really a big focus on understanding more of that and technology around that. All right, Artem, I'm going to go straight at it because I'm guessing that people who are watching this want to ask some form of this question. Sure. But go with all of this crazy technology happening, I mean, at what point are we crossing over into the creator's job versus science? Like, are, is there a place where we could take this thing too far ethically and morally? I'm sure. I'm sure there is. I guess. I guess it comes down to that question. Comes down to the question of what do we define as the creator's job? And so, if we use that as a framework for boundaries, then that's where we have ethical. We can have discussions around ethics of using tools and software and uh, AI and all these other buzzwords that honestly are our buzzwords. They come and go. It's just yeah. a matter of understanding what is it that people are comfortable with versus not. And if you look throughout history, the level of comfort to different technologies evolves, right? The aspect of uh, having comfort and uh, at one point having the printing press, which enabled people to then read the Bible and then being able to then, uh, you know, there's an aspect of uh, centralized kind of doctrine teaching that had to happen from certain people to which that then spread through the Protestant movement and then going through every other technology revolution. It really comes down to the question of, what do you define as the role of the creator? I view it as we have been created to explore creation. Hmm. And so with that, we are given insight into the complexity and the, like the, nat, uh, the, 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 the way in which things operate and where we completely are still every time finding something new. So uh, instead of, I, I view, instead of fearing technology, I view technology as, as a tool to look behind the curtain, to be able to see what's actually going on and to appreciate more of the natural world around us. Hmm. That's a great perspective. Um, so let's get specific. Uh, the, I, I can't remember exactly what you called it, but the layer on top of genes, the kind the of genome genome layer. Genome, yeah. Okay. Um, like, are, are we now tweaking with the sort of hard wiring of human beings? No, so there's nothing there that allows for a tweaking of hard wiring. The way I'd look at it is, um, for example, you take a dietary pill to like a vitamin, right? You take a natural, a multivitamin every day as a means to help your body uh, with having certain balances of vitamins and minerals in the body. Now take, and then what, what does that have? What happens in your body? Your vitamins are absorbed. They go into your system. Some cellular processes happen. The vitamins are processed and they are integrating into enabling certain functions of your body to work better and uh, helping you live, lo live healthier longer. Now take that as an aspect of the epigenome is uh, another regulator to which as science really tries to understand more on how is it that human beings work how is it that what regulates what? What's a gene? How does a gene work? How does that physically affect someone's appearance uh, or a, a disease or some sort of state in which uh, it's kind of still unknown? 
a new level of research has pointed to maybe the epigenome is what is responsible for a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the kind of the, the progression of how things are viewed uh, or how uh, how um, our body is then presenting certain things. So it, it it's more of a, a new area of science to understand what is what is responsible for what. Now the whole there I know because I've, I've ta- when I talk about this. People then have that. Oh my God! You're gonna designer babies <laughs> and uh, genome manipulation and all these other things. You know, and the technology is not there to do designer babies or genome manipulation or anything else like that. Uh, uh, and then the next question I always get is, "Well, can this happen?" I mean, a lot can happen, right? Uh, uh, it's just a matter of truly understanding what is that boundary that we don't want to cross. And at least in the scientific community, um, uh, embryo modification is not something that's uh, that's supported. There's kind of a moratorium on embryo modification, which is um, modifying a baby before it's born. That's not supported. What is supported is understanding as an adult, say, for example, what if I was diagnosed with a disease that comes from one gene? What if I knew that if I took a gene editing pill... For example, this this does not exist, but I'm just giving it as an example. Yeah. If I took a pill that was able to go and fix that one gene in me as an adult, would I not want that medication? The answer mm-hmm. is probably I would because it will help me, it will fix me. But the way it's going to be fixing is by modifying what was misplaced or broken in in a in a in a, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's fascinating, and I'm I love this conversation because it, it, it creates this tension between how, how do I integrate my faith with how I think about science? But this isn't just thinking for you. This is your work. So yeah. just m- maybe share a little bit about how you are integrating your faith into the work that you're doing. Maybe when you have to ask certain questions, maybe when you have to go to certain mentors or dig a little deeper, just walk us through what that integration looks like for you. Yeah, I think, I think, and I think for everyone listening, what the most important thing that when someone thinks about integration uh, and the, is, is identifying your community and being plugged into that community. There's an aspect of believing and nowadays even more pre- prevalent with social media that doing it on your own, you can solve everything. But the premise of the, 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 what I believe the premise of Christianity is a community, a component of community that is coming together as a cohort, right, of people that uh, are kind of have one one unified goal. Uh, with with me for the work that I do, I have a good community uh, community of network of people that I am surrounded with. That we are we're all interested in kind of doing the the grander the grander thing. We're trying to help. Progress uh, science or progress technology in a way that will help people. That's our goal. That's our mission. Now, I view science simply as a tool to uncover the complexities of the universe. And uh, for some, it's the fear of not understanding is Mm -hmm. what prevents them from accepting it as something that is could be useful for them, or it's also an aspect of communication of someone not. Um, understanding it or someone not communicating it clearly enough, 
But I honestly view it as a tool. I think uh, uh, some scientists have been given, given a bad rap um, uh, in, in certain regards, uh, and sometimes it just comes from a lack of communication uh, that doesn't really allow for uh, the communicating what we're doing and how yeah. we're trying to help people in a simplified way. You know, my parents still don't understand fully what I do, but they know they know enough to for it to be dangerous for them. And what I mean by that is dangerous in terms of kind of like they can tell their friends, but they don't know the details and intricacies because it goes over their head. And yeah. they're fine with that. They're like, as long as you're working towards helping people, and that's uh, that's mm. uh, that's kind of how I view things um, with that. But to your question, community and communication, those are the important things. Yeah, I think that I think both of those things are really important. Uh, the the whole idea of community you mentioned it is like this thing called faith was meant to be lived out within the context of community, not in isolation. And then secondly, communication. Uh, we as human beings, we love to whittle things down to sound bites, and then we love to make assumptions and create biases and all the rest. And I think we could do ourselves a favor by actually listening <laughs> more effectively to people. Now, to your point earlier, we might also uh, help ourselves if we could communicate more clearly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that the science community could help Christians specifically by communicating clearly on, hey, there are limits to this. Hey, I think even earlier, your comment about embryos was really helpful. I'm sure there were people who were listening who would say, oh, I didn't know there was sort of an off limits on that. And so I, I do think communication is a part of it. I'd, li I'd like for you to just touch on this as sort of a final thought. When, when you think about all the things that you're working on and all the things that your colleagues are working on, these innovative spaces, particularly around science, what gives you hope? What gives you tremendous hope in what's being developed right now? So, uh, I mean, for me, what gives me the most excitement or the most kind of hope is to know that what is being developed will affect change of people who are struggling with a certain disease. Not mm -hmm. only like in, in, in any startup, I feel like the every founder who, well, preempting that, running a startup, any founder who's running a startup, that is hard. That is a hard job. There is no such thing as a nine to five clock in, clock out situation. You're always going, you're always building something because you are trying, you're, you're, you're mission driven. And that is what I think distinguishes okay founders from great founders is how much, how much resilience do you have in order to put in the time in order to do something that is bigger than yourself. And uh, that is kind of like the, the, the motto that I operate under. And I really do think that a lot of the technology that at least where we're involved with um, and just kind of the areas and the research, it, it's to, to, to have the necessary conversations for when they're difficult, but also to communicate in a way that we can share what we're working on with people in, in, in a means that doesn't scare them off. So that way they don't put barriers and guard and then all the, the biases and the assumptions and the beliefs, all that comes in and then the walls go up and all of a sudden, no matter what you say, you can't, you know, there's an aspect of making sure that people can have the, all the, the relevant information available such that they can make their own informed decisions. But that needs to just be a, a matter of having that information and being able to share that information with people. 
And so, so I, I'm a firm believer of that itself. I love that. Um, I thought I would give you one chance to communicate clearly to a Christian community on all of the assumptions that you hear about and the conclusions and the fears that you see inside of the faith community. What, what would you clearly communicate to us, those of us who just don't understand? What topic would we be talking about? We're talking um, about, <laughs> well, I asked that because like, you know, the, the, uh, the premise behind that question, uh, the, the views on different topics have evolved over time, depending on what topic we're discussing. Yeah. You know, at one point, remember, um, at one point IVF was a very big deal. And then now I've seen there have been uh, people within the church community who are okay with getting IVF because they're having difficulty conceiving or, uh, mm-hmm. and so they'd like to have a child. So, you know, it's interesting for me to think about just like a mental exercise. When did it go from, oh, my God, IVF to, okay, you should get IVF. You know, yeah. that, that transition happened as a nature of time. And so I wonder if a lot of the things that are of concern are just a matter of discussing, understanding, and just takes time. Uh, mm. I'd say, so, so, that, the, the kind of, so that's why I was like, you know. Well, I, I think... About. I don't even think you have to categorically decide now. I think you gave me the answer, which to to everybody listening, I think the answer is um, let's make sure that we're not taking the latest issue, whatever it might be, and make assumptions about it. Because in past years, we've probably had a very similar conversation, and now we accept it as normal or okay or ethical or what, whatever, however you want to define that. And so I think what I just heard from you in communicating back was uh, let's make sure that we take the time to really discuss it. Let's make sure that we're listening to one another and not just jumping to conclusions. Any other thoughts on that? No, I like that. That's a great way to close and wrap this up. Uh, (laughs) I, you know, just ask. So simple question is ask, uh, we're, we all are at fault for making assumptions. I mean, even myself, everyone that I goes through, let's assume based on what we know. And it's all driven based on the knowledge of what we have without necessarily wanting to seek out more information to learn about something that it's outside of our comfort zone. Learning about that allows for you to then critically think about that. And you know, there's an aspect of being able to know that information to begin with, to have the right information in front of you, to be able to discern truth from like truth from falseness in a way. So it's awesome. Well, Dr. Artem, thank you for this conversation. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, this was insightful to me and I know it will help many of the viewers and listeners to this podcast. Again, this is another episode of integrate a podcast brought to you by the center for faith and innovation at Wheaton college. And, uh, we just want to say thank you for joining us. Um, Artem, thank you for the conversation. Thank you for what you're doing in the field of medicine and science and how you're innovating and using the God-given talents uh, to make an impact on people's lives. And so I just want to again say thank you for joining us. Thanks for the conversation. And uh, gosh, we might need to do this again. We need to hear more. Sure. I'm happy to. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Hey, that's right. Well, thank you, guys. We'll see you on our next episode.